0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's a overcast, kind of gloomy uh, sort of Sunday morning, but, you know, it is a beautiful thing. It's a bright, shining, in a metaphorical way thing, whenever we can come together and worship God. This has been, and it's no exaggeration. In fact, I probably can't but understate it. It's been a difficult year for a lot of people. There are a lot of people who have been going through 2020, and they're losing hope. They are losing um, faith. They're losing their, not just faith in God, but just faith in like their common man, their fellow man, I should say. Just good old-fashioned, common sense decency seems to have slipped away from us. There's a very strong self-serving attitude in the world today. There's just so much. I could go on. I'm not going to, because you're, you've all been thinking about it. That's the thing. We've all been thinking about it so much for so much of 2020. It's been such a hard year but the Razorbacks still won yesterday <laughs> and you know the clouds parted and the sun even though it was at night it just felt like it was shining a little brighter and it certainly feels that way this morning it was just it's been a great weekend in hindsight I may have been too hard on them last week when I said you know because we should we should, technically we're technically we're three in one we've we won three in a three in a row you know I'm just gonna say anyway I'm not gonna spend too much time on that but I didn't say it in class this morning And this, I just wanted to say, I I have an Ole Miss friend who I preached to at, at Higdon. So we used to always go back and forth about Ole Miss. And now the preacher they have at Higdon, great preacher, is also an Ole Miss fan. So hopefully they're just having their own little pity party this morning. Us, we're doing just fine. We're doing swell. So let's set that aside. You know, we'll come back to that later. We'll talk about it in the lobby or in the parking lot, I should say. In the meantime, let's talk about what we're doing this month. We started this series of sermons at the beginning of this month by going back in time to March. Uh, If you recall, I said this last week, or Alex did, and I said it before that. We started this series uh, in the month of March. It took four weeks to get through based on the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. That was the first sermon. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Just taking the most simple song that we know as a hymn, the maybe very likely the first song we ever learn as children about Jesus. So simple in its its harmony and its melody and its lyrics that you can learn it before you even learn to read, you can sing that song and oftentimes that's exactly what happens. And so it's so ingrained in us, it's so much a part of us, it's interesting to really open up those words and consider them from a biblical standpoint. So we did that back in March, always knowing in the back of our minds that in the second half of the year, we would revisit it. And we would put a spin on it and we would learn together a new song. Taking the same tune and just putting new words on it. Instead of Jesus loves me, this I know, it's Jesus knows me, this I love. And that was the first sermon that we considered two weeks ago. Jesus knows me. And I don't just mean in the big picture, well, he's God so he knows everything. Sure, he knows every single Scurrying beetle that's ever crawled around he knows every worm that's ever fallen into the ground and dug into the ground He knows everything that ever has been and ever shall be but I mean he really knows Me and just the fact that he doesn't just know me from a big picture. I'm God. I made everything kind of way But the fact that he wants to get to know me The fact that he wants a relationship with me the fact that he desires fellowship with me and you say that about yourself That is something amazing, that is something remarkable, and it is something that I love. Jesus knows me, this I love. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that's what Alex went into a little bit last week. Jesus knows me, this I love, for my name is written above. What does it do for me? What does it mean for me that he knows me? Well, it means in knowing me, he has marked my name on the Lamb's book of life. And even though, as Alex broke down very eloquently last week, he has my name in this book and in this other book are all the things that I've written. He's written my name in his book, but you know what? I have the book of my life and I'm adding to pages in that book and I'm marking up that book. And the things that I'm writing in that book, sometimes they're very bad. Sometimes they're very terrible. Sometimes they're very sinful. I mark all over that book. And I know that when Judgment Day comes, there's going to be a judge and a lawyer and a lawyer who is the judge and that lawyer who is the judge is going to stand in my defense on the other side of me is going to be my adversary my adversarial lawyer my prosecutor the devil satan a word which means adversary he's going to stand over there and he's going to say you can't let matthew in you can't tell him enter in because matthew on this date at this time did this thing look at the record look at the book he wrote it himself And that book is all that he's ever done, and it's all bad. You can't let him in. And my lawyer, who's also the judge, will take and he will erase everything that I've ever done. I, I did it. I still have done it, but he will wipe it clean. And so all that will be remaining, the only thing left written is my name written above. How did all of those things that I did, how did they get washed away? Did I do it? No. If I could have done it, I would have been erasing them as I went. I have been erasing them behind me. You know, covering up my tracks, covering my trail, but I can't do that. I can't hide from God. He knows everything I've ever done. Just as much as the devil, if not more. And so when the devil makes accusation and tries to prevent me from going in to a place I don't deserve to go, my master will say, no, all those things you point out have all been wiped clean, washed in blood. Whose blood and why? is the point of our sermon this morning. Jesus knows me, this I love, for my name is written above, me washed and saved by his blood's power. Let's consider that. First of all, let's go to the Old Testament just to kind of lay a foundation. And let's understand that from the beginning, God has always considered blood an important element in sacrifice and in atonement. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, Moses writes as he's describing the purpose of sacrifices to this people who have now become the people of God. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood and it is given for you as an atonement for your sins, an atonement for your soul, because it is the blood which makes atonement for your souls. There in the Old Testament, in the original covenant between God and man, the first testament, the testament, as Israel knew it, they had right there the understanding that they must offer sacrifice for God. And they could not just offer money. They could not just offer grain. They, there were times when they could. But they must also offer an animal life sacrifice. And what God wanted was not animal torture. Now, there's some, you know, PETA and other, you know, uh, godless critics of God and godless critics of the Bible they will look at the, that part and they'll say, well, God is just condoning animal cruelty, animal torture. That's, it's not animal cruelty. It is, it, is, it is no different in terms of the process than when your very old dog has to be put down and you do so lovingly and gently and carefully. God does not want them to take their lamb on the altar and bludgeon it and brutalize it and beat it and torture it to death. Now, if you break the law and you're stoned, that's exactly what happens. You're to death with stones. But this is not punishment. This is sacrifice. And when the sacrifice is given, very gently does the priest and the man holding the knife slice the throat and let the blood out. And why must the blood be let out? Why are we not just bludgeoning this animal to death? Why must there be blood, as God says here? Because life is in blood. And I need to see, I want to see life pour out of this creature that is being sacrificed because that symbolizes the ultimate act of sacrifice. There in the Old Testament, we have the principle that blood and atonement go together. Just one thing quickly about that word atonement. Alex did a great point, made a great point last week when he talked about uh, justified. And he said the easy way to remember what justified means is to put it in a sentence. I am justified. It's justified, never sinned. It's as if I had never sinned, justified, never sinned. Well, here's another word you can do that with, and that's the word atonement. What is atonement? It is you being at one with God. And the things that you do is the process of atonement. You are becoming at one with God again. He wants fellowship with us, though we've sinned. He wants unity with us, though we've sinned. How do we get that? A sacrifice must be made, blood must be shed. And when it is, you become at one with God again. That's Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. Ephesians 1 verse 7, Paul talking about Jesus, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Here's where you connect Old Testament and New Testament and see the contrast. See, they would offer a lamb sacrifice, but a lamb had no say in it. The lamb was just the lamb of the shepherd. It was taken out of its pen. It was placed on the altar and the knife went across his throat. The lamb didn't have a say. But blood was shed to purchase my redemption. And it had a say, this lamb. He had a say in it. He voluntarily went. And it's not me who voluntarily went. It's not you who voluntarily went. It's not us purchasing our salvation. It's not by our deeds. It's by His grace that He accomplished our redemption. How? Life is in the blood. He accomplished it through the shedding of His blood. Comes our redemption. One more verse before we get into the sermon. Revelation five where John is describing Jesus unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, if you've ever gotten blood on your shirt, a white T-shirt or something, you know how hard it can be to get that out. Blood stains. And yet here you are already stained. You are stained and marred and made disfigured and made obviously bad by the sins that you have done, that I have done. We have all of us taken upon ourselves black ink and marked all over our body and marred and disfigured ourselves in the sight of the Holy God. And what is He going to do? He is going to put blood on us. By submerging ourselves, completely encompassing ourselves in His blood, that thing which we think of stains now instead destroys, eradicates, makes clean, brand new. He did that for us. He did that to us. Washed us. In His blood. We, if you're a Christian, are washed and saved by His blood's power. Now to understand that in greater detail, for the rest of the sermon, open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Matthew 26, 28. Because with this one statement that Jesus makes in this text, we have the outline for our sermon, and probably the most concise, simple understanding of what exactly Jesus did for us and what it means for us in terms of His blood and our redemption. Matthew, from the lips of the Master Himself, Matthew 26, 28. Again, the context is the Lord's Supper. He had just finished saying, here's the cup, take all of it, drink all of it, because, or for, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This one statement perfectly encapsulates not only the point of the sermon, but everything you need to know just about. You can get from right here about blood, sacrifice, redemption. Because look at what Jesus says. Let's just take it line by line. Jesus says, first of all, for this is my blood. Whose blood are we talking about here? Well, I can tell you, me, Matthew Martin, it's not my blood. It's not your blood because I have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. Romans 3.23 And fallen short of the glory of God. We none of us deserve anything good to come from heaven above. So it's not our blood that could do the job. If a blood sacrifice must be offered for atonement. If a blood sacrifice must be given to make us pure and holy in the eyes of God. It must be pure blood that is offered. And my blood ain't pure. And no offense. No offense. Neither is yours. Our blood can't do it. Even if all of us together collectively put all of our lives on the line and we all offered one grand mass sacrifice, it would just be a giant sacrifice for nothing because all of our blood together is just a big tub of dirty blood. We need pure blood. And among many verses that talk about that is Peter's statement in 1 Peter 1.19 where he says, you were not redeemed in verse 18, with corruptible things like silver and gold. The things that you would have in the old life that you lived. No, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You did not go to God and say, here's a thousand dollars, here's a million dollars. We've all pulled all of our money together. here's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, God. Can we buy our salvation? No, you cannot redeem yourself with money. You were redeemed with the precious. That word means rare. Well, listen, he just said silver and gold. Those things are rare. But this is even more rare. The precious blood of Christ. Who is a lamb without blemish and without spot? I would be a lamb with blemish and with spot if you put me on an altar. But Jesus was a lamb without blemish and without spot, went to the altar of the cross and let his blood be shed as a sacrifice for atonement. This is my blood on the line, he says. This is my blood of the New Testament. Again, take your minds back to the Old Testament. We had the text from Leviticus. You go back a book to Exodus. You go back to the beginning of the nation of Israel as a nation of God. Not just because they're descendants of Abraham, but a people who have a contract with God. Go back to the time when Moses presented the law to the people. And he said to them, okay, here's the deal. God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But you've got to be faithful to me. You've got to serve me. You've got to worship me and know other gods. You've got to do what I say. I'm going to be your ruler. And all the people said, we'll do it. We'll be your ruler. Pay no attention to that golden cow. We will be your ruler. Okay, you make the deal. That's the deal. So give me a lamb and let's sacrifice it. E- Exodus, I want to say 32, but don't nobody go there. You can Google it when you get home. It's in Exodus, where Moses takes the, the basin full of lamb's blood that was just sacrificed, and he dips his fingers in the blood, and he goes around the people, and he starts flicking lamb's blood on the people, saying the same words over and over. This is the blood of of the testament. This lamb was sacrificed to seal the promise between God and you, a contract signed, sealed in animal blood. The old law, Moses on that occasion says, the arbiter of the law between God and man says, this is the blood of the testament. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it is intentional that Jesus on his last supper, as he's talking about his blood, takes Moses' words and lifts them for himself and just injects a little adjective to change it. He says, this is the blood of the New Testament. There is now a new contract between God and man because that old contract cannot take away sins. Look at Hebrews chapter twelve or chapter 10 for yourself. Hebrews chapter 10. I know the text says 9 through 12, but just because I'm thinking about it, look at the first four verses. For the old law, which was just a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, could never with their old sacrifices offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, you could come to God through the old law, but you could never be made perfect through the old law. It could never fully make you right. Verse 2. Because if it could, those old sacrifices would cease to be offered. Because the worshipers, once purged from their sins, would have no more conscience of it. In other words, if they could take an old uh, lamb and lay an lamb on the altar under the old law principle and offer this lamb, they could be made, if they could be made free from their sins, they would never have to go back to the altar again. They would never have to offer another sacrifice because they would be freed of their sins. But they weren't. That's why they had to go back. Verse 3. In those sacrifices is a remembrance made year after year after year. We're going to do this because we have a promise with God. We have a contract with God. The blood of the testament must be shed over and over year after year. Verse 4. Because it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Why not? Because a bull and a goat didn't sin. I did. I sinned. A bull and a goat were not offered a forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a man. Eve was a person, a woman. We sinned. So we can offer a lamb as God tells us to, but a lamb's not taking away my sin. I need a man to take away my sin. I can't do it though. My blood's already tainted. You can't do it. Your blood's already tainted. What are we going to do? Look at 9-12, through Hebrews 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He took away the first, that he may establish the second. Jesus he's talking about. He took away the first contract, so he might establish a second contract. He said this is the Old Testament, but now this blood is the blood of a new testament. By that testament, verse 10, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. There's no going back every year for a new Jesus offered on a new cross. He did it once, and that was plenty. And every priest of the Old Testament daily who keep up with the Old Testament, they daily minister and they daily offer those sacrifices which can never take away sins. But Jesus, verse 12, He, after He offered one sacrifice for sin, is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is my blood of a new testament. I'm offering a new contract and I'm going to go seal that contract in my blood. One offering forever. That you get to take advantage of. And who is that you? This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. How many is many? Well, one is one. Two is a couple. Three is a few. How many do you get to many? How many is many? You know, the word is used in a lot of different ways. For example, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Strive to enter in into the, the King James says, straight but that's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, straight line straight. It's S-T-R-A-I-T. Strive to in, enter into the hard, difficult, constricting, tough, uphill, rugged, hard way. Strive to enter into the way that, you know, you're going you're gonna to feel it. Your legs are going to burn. It's a difficult road. Go that way. Because over here is a broad, easy, sloping downhill, gentle path that leads to destruction and destruction. How many are going to go? Many there be that go in there at. Okay, over here, many people are going to be lost. But Jesus said, I'm shedding my blood for many. Well, how many is many, Jesus? Who is many? A lot of verses to look at. But Revelation twenty two seventeen 17, I like. Because that's where the writer says, um, well, okay, I know how the middle is. How does it start? Now I've got to turn there. Revelation twenty two seventeen. Sorry, everybody. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Oh, yeah. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come and take the water of life freely. That's what I need. I need the water of life. Salvation in a nutshell. And I need it, but who gets to have it? Who is invited in this text? The Spirit and the Bride are inviting us, saying, come. Okay, to whom? Whosoever will. How many is many? Anybody who wants it. Listen, fact. Jesus died for everybody fact not everybody will be saved because if that were if that were not true if everybody was going to be saved just because jesus died he wouldn't have said there's a broad way that leads to destruction and many are going that way it's a fact he died to save everyone it's not a fact that everyone will be saved what's what's missing in the middle between those two points is the fact that he died to save everyone and whomsoever will gets to be that's what was unlocked At Calvary's Hill the power to be saved the freedom to be saved the opportunity to be saved. for whom as many as want to be saved do you want to be saved listen when Jesus said those words if you ask the people in that room and you ask them well who's going to be part of God's family everyone to a man would say the Jews the Jews the Jews the Jews because we're the people of God we're the people the descendants of Abraham the promise made to him the contract given to us We're the people. We've got the deal. Written in blood of a lamb at Sinai. Okay, but this is a new testament. This is a new deal. And it's not just given to Jews. It's given to many. Jew and Gentile. Raise your hand if you're a Jew. Nope. Just a bunch of stinking Gentiles in this room. Every one of us to a man and lady gets to enjoy this because now we're part of the many. A new contract has been offered. Signed and sealed in his blood. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for as many as want to receive. What do I get out of it? Contract has to have perks. What's the perks? For the remission of sins. Now let's just hold on to that. You see that word highlighted there? Pretend it's not. If you would just look at the text. If I asked you, what's the most important word in that text? You're going to say for because you saw it on the screen. But pretend you didn't. If I asked you, what's the most important word in that verse? I bet you a lot of people would say blood or remission or maybe testament or maybe shed. You'd find all kinds of key words, maybe sins, if you want to be introspective. I doubt you would hit on that preposition that appears three times. But in my opinion, this is the most important word to understanding the importance of this verse for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, let's talk about that word for, not for, F-O-U-R, but F-O-R, for. I think you know this, I'm certain you do. You don't find meaning in a dictionary, right? We understand that. You find usage in a dictionary. If someone, if you're foreign and you don't speak English and someone says to you, I'm cool, well, I don't know what that word means. Let me look it up. So you look up, you go to C-C-O-O-L, cool. Okay, but there's two different definitions here. So you don't know, is this guy mildly popular or is he mildly cold? I don't know. He just said he's cool. What do I need to determine which one to use? I need more context. I'm cool. Someone get me a jacket. Okay, now I understand. But then he puts on a leather jacket, and now I don't know. (laughs) See, that's the thing. You don't find meaning in a dictionary. You find usage. How do I use this word in various scenarios? And then through context, he puts on sunglasses, he gets on a bike, and he drives off. Oh, now he's not cool. He's, He's Brother Barley in the back. No, you find usage. You find, how do I use this word? Well, how does one use the word for, F-O-R? Well, you could use it in a few different ways. For example, ah, for, for example, I went to the store for bread. What did I do? I went to the store in order to obtain bread. Okay, I think we all understand that one. We use that one all the time. How about this one? For those of you who want some bread, I just got some from the store. Different word. For those of you who want bread. It doesn't mean in order to obtain those of you. That's creepy. No, it's, if, it means concerning those of you with respect to those of you. If, you want, if I say that, and there's always some smart aleck at the party who does this. For those of you who want bread, I've got bread. And someone says, oh, I don't want bread. Well, I wasn't talking to you. Mark, I don't, I don't, I don't need you to speak up. Okay, but if you want bread, then I'm talking to you. Concerning those of you who want bread, I just went to the store to get some. That make sense? Different usage. But someone says, well, how would you get that bread? Well, that's the funny thing. I am going to jail for stealing bread. For means something else. I'm not going to jail in order to obtain bread. I've already obtained it. Okay, that's why I'm going to jail. I'm not going to jail with respect to bread. I'm going to jail because of stealing bread. I am now doing this because of this or the consequences thereof. Three different words have three different meanings. One means in order to obtain. One means with respect to. One means "becomes of. would not you know it? In the verse that we're considering, those three words appear there as well. But they are not the same word in the Greek. Because the language in which Jesus was speaking when he spoke in the Last Supper, he was not speaking English, which is a convoluted, ridiculous language we never should have invented. He was speaking a much more precise language, Greek. Which while it also has its multi-use words, it also has many more single-use words. Like the word we translate as four. You have in the Greek the word ace which means in order to obtain bread. You have the word peri, which means with respect to those who want bread. And you have the word gar with respect to those because of bread. You have three different words. And if you use those three different words in three different ways, you're doing language right. That's not gospel, that's just grammar. Scientific, precise, ungetoverable grammar. And three words appear in our text. Three different words for gar. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed peri, many, ace, the remission of sins. And key in on that last line, with respect to many, in order to obtain remission of sins, because this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed with respect to those who want to take advantage of it, they can, in order to obtain remission of sins, have my blood. That's basically what he says. Single out on that phrase, though. In order to obtain remission of sins, in the original language, ace, aphasis hamartia. Right. Now, I don't expect you to understand Greek. It doesn't matter. I could be speaking clean on for all you know. It's written on the board, okay? But it's important to know so that you can remember languages mean something, words mean something, science it's grammar, they have a point. So what is Jesus actually saying? He is saying, ace, in order to obtain aphasis, the doing away with, the complete eradication of hamartia, sin. I have shed my blood so that anybody who wants it can have their sins completely obliterated. That's the statement. And I'll bet you if I say that, you won't find one person on planet Earth who can speak language, any language, and understand it, who would disagree. Because that's just grammar. It's just law. problem is when you try to apply it. Because what Jesus is saying, one more time, he shed his blood so that many could obtain remission of sins. Okay, how do I obtain remission of sins? This tells me what. This tells me who. This tells me Why? but what do I do to obtain remission of sins? Peter, who was was there in the Last Supper room, the upper room, who heard his master say those words. I do not believe it was a coincidence any more than I believe this is the New Testament was a coincidence. Peter, who said those words when he preached his first gospel sermon and he heard those people say, men and brethren, what shall we do? He took the words of his master and he copied them directly. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Because he heard Jesus say those exact words not just a few days ago. This is my blood, which I'm shedding for remission of sins. What do I do to obtain remission of sins, Peter? You repent and you're baptized in order to obtain remission of sins. Oh, 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 oh. Someone's going to say, no, that word for there, that means because. That means because of remission of sins. That means they already had remission of sins. And because of that, they're told to be baptized. All right. I don't even need the Greek to shoot that down because that makes no sense in English either because what Peter said is not because you're saved, you need to be baptized. Uh, yeah, you have, because you have remission of sins, you need to be baptized. That's not what he says. That's not the language because what Peter says, he says, repent and be baptized. That's a collective phrase and conjoins those two ideas together. So if you're going to tell me that they have to be baptized because they have remission of sins, then what Peter is actually saying, according to you, is you people who have remission of sins need to repent and be baptized. Why are they repenting if they already have remission of sins? That doesn't make any sense. Does that make sense to you? Makes no sense to me. They wouldn't repent if they already have remission of sins. People, the point of repenting is to say, I am a sinner and I am sorry. But once my sins are taken away, I don't don't need to say that anymore. I just need to be faithful. So why would he say, you saved people need to repent of the sins that you've already been saved from? No, no. So even in the English, that doesn't make sense. But you know, it doesn't make sense in the Greek either. Because Peter uses the exact same phrase that Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28. Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, ace aphasis hamartia, in order to obtain the doing away of your sins. Men and brother, what shall we do? Well, that's the statement of a person who wants to do right. And so they're told how? You need to repent, turn away from sin. And you need to be baptized In order to obtain remission of sins. 3,000 people obeyed the gospel in Acts 2. There were maybe a million people listening. That's a lot of people who didn't obey. But you know what? 3,000 people. You know how many that is? Many. It's a lot to me. 3,000. Five more came a couple days later. Another 5,000. Many people received the message. All of them wanted to. Whomsoever will come take the water of life. How do I do it? Repent and be baptized. And you can have your name written above. Jesus can know you and you can be washed and saved by his blood's power, his blood of the New Testament, which he shed for you so that you could have remission of sins. We're learning a song this month. Jesus, I'm not going to sing it to you. We're going to sing it next week, though. We're going to sing it next week. What we're going to do is we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me, this I know, just the first verse. Get the tune in our head. And then, instead of Jesus loves me, he who died, we're not going to sing that verse. We're going to put it in our words. We're going to sing, Jesus knows me, this I love. For my name is written above, washed and saved by his blood's power. Next week, Alex will tell you, we're prepped to fly at any hour. Jesus knows me. I love it. He knows me, and my name is written above. I see it. And because I see it, I know and I have confidence because my sins have been washed Washed by His blood's power. What does that mean? That means from now until the end, whenever the end may be, I'm ready to go. I'm prepped to fly at any hour. Is that you? i got to preach your sermon just a little bit because you may not get here next week. You may not make it to next week. Are you ready? If you're not, you need to repent and be baptized so that you can obtain remission of sins. If you have done that but you've not been faithful, why not repent? Why not turn back to your Master? and be restored. Can we help you? If we can, please come right now as we stand and sing.